episode 35 of the Beard of Beans podcast. My name is Josh Ogden. You can find me on Twitter at Browns Memes. With me is the Kevin Beard. Got a lot to talk about this week. We had a WrestleMania. We'll close our show with our WrestleMania talk. Everybody on earth is talking about the draft. And I, I mean, maybe we can say something. Next week we'll do our draft show. I don't do mock drafts. I mock the draft. But I think our first topic of the day needs to be the Cleveland Cavaliers making the playoffs, squeaking in as the four seed. And I've I, lost I Kevin. don't. Oh boy! <laughs> no, 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 no! I. Uh, <laughs> He's got so much I, to say. He doesn't. He wants to say it all at once. I do have a lot to say, and I don't know where to start. Because um, I don't. Honestly, I don't know if the Cavs know who to start. Um, but Jesus, if you want to talk about starting some shit, Tristan Thompson, Jesus Christ, starting off with that. Tristan I mean, the night away. Oh, <laughs> is that going to help or hurt the playoffs? I don't know. Curse of the Kardashians. Is that over? I mean, if he's, he's been playing great as of late. I don't know if that's any coincidence, but, um, I mean, they did get into the four spot. Uh, I mean, History isn't always in their favor. LeBron James hasn't been less than a one or two seed for ten years, and the last four number four seed to get to the playoffs was the 2010 Celtics, and I believe they won that all. Um, but I don't know. We're playing we're playing against the Pacers, who are surprisingly the five seed. But then again, they they have a good team. Um, to my knowledge, the Cavs, their starting lineup is going to go. George Hill, um, I'm going to say J.R., and I could be wrong. J.R. might have been off the bench. George Hill, um, J.R., Love, James, and Jeff Green. It might be Jeff Green, James, Love, um, and Tristan. I don't know. I, I don't know if they know. But, um, I, I just... I, before, I mean, and I guess you you don't know where to start because has there, has there ever been a season? I mean, I've seen I've gone through daytime television and found less drama than what the Cavs season has been, and they said just another ridiculous thing with Tristan Thompson and oh, he's what making out with two girls and eh. Eh, a little more than that. Uh, whatever, I I mean. Trying to keep it. I mean, trying to keep it friendly tonight. Trying to keep it family friendly. Everybody said shit, but um, the thing with that is like, <laughs> <laughs> like, like Chloe. She, uh, I mean, I don't know why she's so surprised. She she was his side chick first, so I'm not really sure how she can like be too upset about it. But I mean, in, in all fairness to Tristan, Tristan. He did say that he and this girl were talking about religion and shit. So, in the hotel room at three o'clock in the morning. So good for them if that's what they were doing. Well, right. I mean, that's there's never a more appropriate time because I mean, sometimes when you can't sleep, sometimes you want to turn to you know a higher power and instead of like well, in sleeping pills or Unisom. And in the video, she was screaming, "Oh my god!" So you know what? I believe her. 
I, well, yeah, I mean, that would be fitting right in with, you know, I mean, some people are a little more intense. I've been, you know, I, I've not really frequented many churches. I don't want to offend anybody, but I do know some of them are sort of these sit-down affairs where everybody sits, you know, fully. And I know some of them are, you know, kind of more lively, hooping and hollering and, oh, my God. And so that yeah. could have very well been, you know, that just the, you know, the denomination that this girl was. I don't know. I'm... Likely yeah, story. I why, they, why they would be doing it naked? That's just a weird part. But well, anyways, I mean, uh, there's all sorts of religions. We could have been, you know. I mean, we're this is a modern day, Kevin. We got to open our minds to the fact that we might be meshing like, religions in one, you know, night in a hotel at three in the morning. Well, I think we've talked about that about two minutes too long. I, I um, mean, I imagine so, but it's a. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's just another thing. <laughs> it's like, can't we just? That these are the kind of things that make me almost wish that like you know Twitter and all this shit was never even invented because it's like this wouldn't have been a problem even ten years ago. And now it's not only like a problem, but it's a problem across several media. I mean, several sections now of the uh, you know sort of consciousness of the not only just basketball fans, but now all the tabloid fans and all the. Instagram models and bullshit. Now they're all involved because their precious Kardashians are involved. Yeah. Um. Anyways, back to, back to the Pacers. They uh, they have a decent decent lineup. Um. Starting off with Victor Oladipo, who was an All Star. He was traded for Paul George along with um, Demontis Sabonis. If I'm saying that right. Um, the bonus. Uh, to his credit, he's played very well in Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, uh, maybe because he gets the ball more than he did in, in Oklahoma City. Um, but, you know, starting off with him, they have Darren Collison, who's a good veteran point guard. Um, uh, I don't even know how to say this guy's name. First name, his last name is Bogdanovich. They have Thaddeus Young and Miles Turner, who's a who's a good young center. I mean, I still want to say he's only like twenty one or twenty two. Um, and uh, I mean, they're a good five seed. They might win a game in the series, but LeBron James has lost seven games in his first round of his playoff career, so I don't exactly um, see that changing too much. But he hasn't lost. I think he hasn't lost a first round game since two thousand eleven. So. Like I said, I don't I don't see it being too much of a problem until um, they get further down into the playoffs. Uh, they have some good depth, but nothing great. They have a lot of good players, um, but to get too far in without getting too far in to break down the Indiana Pacers Cavs series, I think they the Cavs will win uh, four zero or is it three? I don't remember the first round of the NBA. No, the playoff. first round. It used to be five. Now it is seven. I forget what year it changed, but they every round is around a seven. And then yeah, the Cavs will lose maybe one game at the most, but I, I don't see it being entirely too difficult at all. And, it, and it's, it'll probably feel like a five game sweep for that matter. Um, they'll probably they'll probably try and use this team as a you know a, a team to to keep Kevin Love hot, keep Kyle Korver going. Um, See what the young guys can do to really hold their hold their position, not as, as so much of a, a leader, but you know, find their place in the rotation 
to see how big the rotation is going to be because I imagine it'll shrink in some capacity. Some guys like Jordan Clarkson, um, uh, their their spot might might shrink come playoff time. Same with Calderon. Um, with LeBron James might handle the ball a little bit more, but we'll see what happens. I don't I don't I don't see this being too difficult for the series. Well, I know they've had a lot of success with Calderon on the floor, and I, I mean the numbers back it up, and all you know, what I mean, and I kind of like that they've sort of included like that plus minus, you know, because that was always a hockey thing for the longest time, and then they kind of put it into the NBA, and I think it's a, even a more effective stat, you know, sort of in the NBA, and I and I do believe that Calderon has the best plus minus on the team by, and actually by a long shot, I could be wrong on that, but. He's a very reliable point guard. He knows what he can and what he can't do. He's not going to try and do too many things. And he's shooting really well. Um, he'll take the open shot. He, you know, he's surprisingly good at driving to the basket. He's, he's an excellent, uh, free throw shooter. If I remember right, he might even have the all time record for the single season. Um, and or consecutive free throws made. I can't remember which one. Um, but he's a, he's an excellent free throw shooter. So down the stretch, they'll they'll have him on the court along with probably Corver and LeBron for for free throw shooting. Um, but he's really good at you know finding the open man. The Cavs lead the NBA in corner threes, and that that has a lot to do with James and Calderon finding Jr. Um, and Corver and, and Love. Um, and what's great about about Larry Nance is we don't have to worry about he or Tristan Thompson for that matter because um, when they were out when, Lance, when Larry Nance wasn't on the team and Thompson was hurt Love was playing the five and he'd be out shooting the three and he missed it you know we were not getting a rebound right, whatsoever that, that was that, your one shot absolutely it had a lot to do with us uh, us not doing great because we took a lot of three pointers and you know we're shooting 50% that's 50% of the shots you know 18, 19 rebounds a game we weren't getting just because you know, Kevin Love wasn't there to get him, so Larry Nance and Tristan Thompson are great number five options at just offensive rebounding. Because those guys, they know their role, and Larry Nance, he's a great pick and roll player, get to the hoop. Um, Tristan Thompson as well, but offensively, they're not going to try and do too much. They know that they're going to get the rebound for the spot of shooters, and, um, they, they, they help a lot in that, in that role. And LeBron, I mean, God, you, you look at the play, and every goddamn time, it looks like he's grabbing the rebound, so. Um, it's great to finally get the rhythm back. Um, and I, I think this will be a great warm up for the Cavs. Now, one other thing, I guess, just before, you know, we, we move on from that. I know, and maybe you know this number a little bit better, but I know historically the Cavs have sort of struggled playing in Indiana. Is that something I, I'm trying to think back if we've cleaned that up over the last couple of years or not? I know, um, I know all or not all time. I'm sorry. Uh, this year they lost to the Pacers. I want to say three to one, but um, I, I don't think that necessarily matters. Well, I mean, this uh, has been such a just a whack job of a season. If you if you think back clear to the beginning, like we said, we had the uh, you know the NBA 2K All Star team you know lined up on there, and we've seen what it happened in actuality, and it's morphed into some weird thing of course you know we have you know the Kyrie deal and, and our return from it had to be another deal that was made it's been a I mean it's been a wacky four years but of the four years of LeBron coming back this is by far the wackiest of the wacky seasons well, 
I think that has a lot to do with uh, with the uncertainty at the point guard, not having that great number number two player. Um, I but, think it has a little to do with the uncertainty of number twenty three. Well, you know, here's where I'm at with that, and I don't want to get too far into it because no, I don't no, no, think and about I don't either. But I'm just saying it's been such a wacky season, and you know. <laughs> get that second title if he really gets that second title and he leaves I think that fans that aren't so sure will finally just say okay your thing um but if he took the second if he got the second title and left why would he do that this team is set up to do it again no I don't I don't know I just think that the uh, and I think that I don't want to be cliche like everybody else, but man, when I see it, I see it. Philadelphia looks good, and they look primed for about five good years of of play. Like, I mean, they have their Kyle Korver with JJ Redick. They have um, a great rebounder. They have Ben Simmons, who might be the best young up and coming player, who looks better than than guys like Andrew Wiggins. Um, I mean, Ben Simmons is a legit. Six nine, six ten point guard that can that has the almost has LeBron James vision on the court and God, you know that's not something that 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 I mean that's Magic Johnson LeBron James vision that's two three steps ahead and you know you cannot teach that. Um, well, let's and he you know since, he might. Well, I was going to say since we don't want to so much turn this into what LeBron might do. Talking about that Philadelphia team, who are you worried about in the entirety of the playoffs right now? East or all together. Oh, in the East or all together. You're talking about how Philly's set up and set up for five years. Are you worried about if the Cavs get into a seven game with Philly? That's the only team I'm worried about. Um, I, I have no. I mean, I think Jan, I think the uh, I think the Milwaukee Bucks and 76ers play each other, and if that does happen, and Joel Embiid's out for any length of time, it could get interesting because Jabari Parker, he's a, I mean he's not a great option, but but Giannis Atenakumpo is I mean he's a he's six eleven I believe, um, and he can do a lot of damage, especially if someone uh, like. Joel Embiid is not um, he's not available for the playoffs, but they also have they have Eric Bledsoe, who's a great scoring option. Chris Middleton's a good scoring option. Thon Maker, even well, Thon Maker's a great seven foot three, ten minute a game defensive player. Even Jason Terry, he's a great veteran. Um, he's a great veteran come playoff time, even if it's just on the bench and, and Brendan Jennings can you know, he can score if he needs to. So they're a pretty deep team, but NBA's teams usually go by star power and I think they have one and a half with, with Giannis and uh, Eric Bledsoe. So I think if it gets into a shooting match I think that, that series, if, if MB's out could go six to seven games. I'd still take Philly. Um but uh, as far as Toronto and Boston, Toronto is set up to fail on the second or third <laughs> if, round. If Toronto playoff. wins the East, so many people are going to have to eat crow. <laughs> Nobody's giving them a chance in hell. And, I mean, and they're the one seed. 
they give us no reason to think otherwise. Um, the way that the Cavaliers just owned them during the season, I can't imagine that things will change. And if they don't win this year, they're going to have to do something. They're going to have to trade somebody. Um, but as far as and as far as Boston goes, with their injuries to Kyrie being out and with Gordon Hayward out, um, there's just there's just no feasible way they ever get past the second, even the first round. All right, who is the eight seed? Uh shit. Um, I haven't even seen the seedings. Um, I who's taking the, Toronto uh, out? Hold on. <laughs> um, I, I uh, let me look that up real quick. All right, I want to know who the eight seed is that is going to take is, out the lowly number one that, seed Toronto Raptors. If they have if they have Beal and John Wall healthy, I mean they could take them to sixteen. I think. I, I mean, whatever it takes to uh, you know. Get them tied, and you know what? I'm wrong. The 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 Bucks don't play the 76ers. The Bucks play the Celtics, which I think that they could win that series. The Heat play the 76ers. It'll be the Heat playing the 76ers. Yes, and I don't feel like Miami poses much of a threat whatsoever. Um, yeah, I think that Philly could take that in five five games, six at the most, at the very very most. Man, I think it's sad if you... I mean, I guess I hate to say it if you look. The Cavs would actually be a three seed in the West. But, like, the two teams that were eliminated in the East would pretty much easy, would easily have made the playoffs in the East. So that's that's kind of wild, too. I kind of looked up the, the, the matchups myself there. That's a... That's going to be intriguing. It's going to be interesting to see what it goes through. And like I said, I, I hope it never ends because after it does end, we teased on the ugly talk we're going to have to have. Uh, you know what? I, I I understand that we'll be in 2000, uh, 2011 basketball Siberia when we had, uh, well, I think Shaq's contract was expiring at that point, but I can't remember on all the other guys that we had um, – that were bigger contracts that were LeBron's friends that that we had, that we traded. Um, who we who we trade? Baron Davis. That was oh yes, that was Tyree yes. pick. Um, but uh, you know we'll be a six seed with depending on what we do. I'd say if we if LeBron left, we probably end up trading Kevin Love and um and starting really? with his with as hot as he's been. Yeah. Um, I just in all of those years he never took um, Minnesota to the playoffs. I don't know if he would take the Cavs to the playoffs um, without LeBron. You know, I'm not even going to think about that. Let's enjoy the playoffs um, and let's, let's let's talk about something else. I can't even think about that right all now. All right, I want to do. I mean, I guess a little bit of a PSA. You're helping with your kids doing soccer. I am. I am sort of. Um, kind of help uh, my, one of my friends is the uh, soccer coach and you know I'll help um, but I, I I just I like helping the kids you know 
Right. It, it, you've done you've done flag football, and I've I'm I've done soccer. I just picked my softball team today, and I, I just I was kind of shocked to see how hard it is for some of these places to find people to do things. So I guess I just wanted to do like my, my little good deed PSA for the day and be like, man, if you're a parent and you got you know some kids and they want to play some sports, man, help these schools out and go out and it's a great chance to go out and you know yell at your kids and in a fun yeah, way. Yeah, and if not, yell at someone else's kid. Right, you get to yell at other people's kids, and I mean, and everybody's like, oh yeah, I know, you know, get that kid to hustle. You know? <laughs> well, no, like the thing with me is like I don't like. I dropped a four-legger last year at practice, and so I kind of had to reevaluate it. Um, oh, my. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, but just one, and it was just shit. So I wasn't like, oh, you fucking idiot. Right. You could have uh, said, oh, I stepped, uh, I stepped in it. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, and I don't hold back a lot. I'm not, I don't yell at the kids, but I let them know, like, hey, you need to pay attention because – you doing this affects him and that affects him and then we're not going to get anywhere because you know you're over there doing the floss dance whatever the fuck you want to do so you know i gotta i I gotta i gotta keep on them but for the most part they're pretty good well right but i'm just saying you know you go out you get to yell at your kid you get to yell at other people's kids they're gonna play a game or they have fun and it's kind of what you do with sports. And I said, if you just a parent, you got a kid and you got a mouth, go out there and, and help out because man, I, I couldn't believe, you know, I can't believe as I'm kind of setting stuff up now with our leagues around here, like how little help that, you know, these parents are given. Come on, man, get off your butt. You're going to sit on the sidelines and watch anyway, get up and get up and help. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, I get it. Some parents are tired. Some parents don't know the sport particularly well. Some, well you don't you know, have but, to play. Newsflash, you don't have to play. Well, I mean, soccer is not easy. I mean, I guess, I mean, you have to stay in football. I mean, Christ, to try and, it's like trying to teach someone chess. Um, you have to know how to do it to be able to teach it. Um, fortunately for me, I was never like a standout athlete, so and that's kind of the difference between standouts and people that have to work for it. Standouts don't necessarily study the game. Um, standouts just go out there, do their thing, and, you know, they're going to get a touchdown. They don't necessarily have to worry about the route Man, or anything. Hell. They go on get the go route. Um, but someone like me, who was never a standout, I studied the game. So I know, I know the gaps. I know, you know, all this other shit that bores everybody to death. You know, defensive scheme. So it, it, and I like teaching it. I like zoning the, zoning the defense. And I like teaching them how to stand and come out of the block. So it's fun to me. But someone who doesn't know it, who's just like, hey, when he says, hey, you throw the ball, it's fucking Napoleon Dynamite, fucking Uncle Rico over the mountains. So, you know, I enjoy it. Um, and it's not necessarily something that comes easy because football, yeah, it's not, easy but some something like even basketball or baseball hey go out there teach your kid to throw it or hit it tell him to swing the bat whatever he's either gonna hit it or not you know big fucking deal just get out there and coach right those kids have fun go out there and help i mean us telling the kid to hit it isn't gonna help his eyesight and his hand coordination hell no uh, i knew i go was out done. there and hit the ball i knew i was done with baseball the first time i saw 90 mile an hour fastball Actually, I shouldn't say I saw it. I heard yeah. it. My uh, my dad he he used to he used to pitch in the minors for the Indians, but he was a pretty good pitcher. 
Um, so we'd be sixth, seventh grade, maybe even younger, and he was throwing us eighty mile an hour pitches, and you know I could I could drill them, and you know, but over time we didn't play, and you know you lose your trained eye, and I all of a sudden I step in the batting cage, and I'm like Jesus Christ. All right, I'm done. <laughs> you but, pulled your groin on your you know, practice swing. It's a wonderful thing. Fuck, man. You know, you're trying. And every time you go out there, you're, you're out with your buddies, you're with, with some girl, and you're, like, trying to fucking hit a home run in the batting cage. And next thing you know, you, you know, you feel like you got picked by a mule in the nuts. And you're like, oh, I'm done. I can't right now. I didn't stretch. I better go take a break. My favorite one. And you go I... putt-putting. Right, <laughs> act like a badass out there. My favorite one I ever did is I one time I uh, at the batting cage I hit one and it went straight down and then came up and hit me in the face. That was my favorite cool moment oh. at the batting cage. Oh, I bet you felt amazing. Yes, yes. I, uh, Speaking I, of, did you see the Indians Tigers game? Uh, Jordan Zimmerman get lined by Kipnis. I did not. What happened? Oh, good Lord. I, I mean, he walked off. I, I, I guess I didn't quite have the update yet on, on how he's doing, but it, yeah, first inning of the game, he come up there, Kipnis came up and line drive right off his bat, and the way he was turning, it looked like it jacked him right in the jaw. And he went Ooh. and straight down. And of course, you know, the Indians kind of didn't, haven't really started swinging the bats until just the last couple games. So, I mean, the bats were going so bad and I, and thankfully he walked off. I don't want to make light of it, but Holy Christ, the ball bounced right to the first baseman. I mean, usually when you kill the pitcher, you at least get a free base. And I mean, we couldn't even get that there for a minute. So, I mean, we knew we weren't going to hit 160 forever. So, but he's all right, though, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, that was awful. I mean, I hate that shit. I went to, uh, when I was younger, I went to a game, and it was uh, Julio Franco on his sort of twilight run with the Indians. He had I mean, he, he was about 47? Yeah, he was just kind of in it. He was trying to collect his pension, I think. Just like, man, if I can stay on till 65, you know, I can, you know, retire I mean, right. Think, think about the pension you get when you're, because the longer you're tenured, the more you get. Right. But anyways, back to Julio Franco. Anyway, Julio Franco was up, and he lined a Tigers pitcher, uh, I mean, right square in the bean, and it kind of pissed me off because it was, uh, you know, it was still like 1990. It was like right after they had opened Jacobs Field, you know, so it was a brand new, you know, pristine stadium and all that stuff. And I remember this bastard was on the ground. He hadn't moved. I mean, we were all like, holy crap. I mean, is this guy... You know, I mean, is he even... And then the ambulance comes out, you know, where they come out of the left field, you know, the big wall there, and they have that big garage door that opens up there. And they back the ambulance real slow down the warning track. (laughs) Like, this guy hasn't moved. Like, screw the grass. Like, I know. It's the... I mean, and they did. They backed it out so slow, and they were all, like, trying not to touch the grass. And I'm like, that is so inappropriate right now. Like, this poor guy hasn't moved. Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, just, yeah, it was just sick. I hate seeing that stuff. That's the worst part of baseball. If if there was anything of baseball that the commissioner should take away, it's like, oh, don't let the pitcher get beamed like that. I mean, just think of Kirby Puckett. I mean, do you remember when he hit that batter in the face? That was Dennis Martinez. Yeah, that was that ended his career. And I mean, I hate to say, I mean, kind of, from what I understand, led a little bit to you know his early demise. 
Yeah, and that's unfortunate because I mean, he was the God. He was the most. He was kind of shaped like a pear, but damn, he was a good hitter. Yeah, he was a. The only thing I, I hate to say, you know, Kirby Puckett is he was one of those guys that when he was playing, he was one of those guys that always won like the Great Guy of the Year awards and all that shit, and, and it kind of turned out, you know, the, as later in his life, he kind of found out that he wasn't such a great guy, and. You know, I just, so like he kind of, I forget all the details, but he kind of tarnished his sparkling reputation. But I remember he was a great player, like you said, pear shaped. And those were some really tough twins teams back in the day. I just remember those teams playing. So yeah, but that that's what ended Kirby Puckett was a Dennis Martinez ball that I mean literally crushed his just crushed his hit face. Yeah. You hate to see that. I mean, no matter who it is, you just hate to see something like that happen. No, I I know. I I played first base, and we had a pitcher hit the you know hit this kid, and he got him right in the eye, and he went Ooh. down. And I remember I walked over. You know, we just kind of walked off the field, and I went over with our with our catcher, and I was standing there, and I noticed like he wasn't right, and I you know put my arm around him. And I said, "Man, are you all right?" And he threw up i mean it was <laughs> it's, oh. yeah that's it's an ugly sound it's an ugly thing you know thank goodness i mean he got up and walked off which was i i didn't see happening when i you know oh. after i seen it live so wow that, that was an ugly one but but uh you know in happier news you know i mean with him being okay the indians have finally learned to hit i mean in, in all truth what's been kind of great about this season is the only team up to the last couple games that has been hitting worse than the Indians has been the team we're playing because the pitching has been so awesome, but you've had what one bad outing really, truly one bad outing. It's Tomlin. And I'm going to say this about Tomlin is if, if he's on and he's hitting the corners and stuff, he's going to be good. But the only thing that scares the bejesus belt out of me about Tomlin is with his velocity, if he doesn't have pinpoint accuracy, he's throwing batting practice. You know, well, the so thing with Tomlin, isn't he a fifth starter? Yeah, he's a fifth starter. I, I said it's just one of those things where the where the arm isn't there, so it always makes me nervous because that's one of those it's it's really a coin flip. You know, sometimes yeah. the batters are gonna have a bad game and, and then just give him some, but you know, some days he's gonna be sharp. I mean it is all I mean, you can throw seventy if you can hit the spots. I mean, I feel like it's your fifth starter. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna run into some bad outings because he's your fifth starter. So you know, if that's the worst that's gonna if that's the worst case scenario is where our fifth starter has a bad game, I will take that all day. But I mean, just to put it on the flip side, his second start was absolutely amazing. He got you know he really pitched extraordinarily well, and I mean, everybody else is pitching extraordinarily well, including <laughs> and, our our you know our best player um two-time Cy Young award winner Corey Kluber he's once again finding a way to just keep trucking this guy is just consistently historically great well they did they did a little tweak because in all truth they had the Klubot program to do like a cheap base hit in the home run because they didn't want you know suspicion to arise that he's a robot and you know the Indians were hitting so poorly that they had to actually take that line of programming out for the third game, and he just went out and just shut them the fuck down. And 
you know, I'm still going to say that two-seamer that Corey Kluber's got is literally the scariest pitch I've ever seen. I I mean, I the only person I've ever seen, and I kind of poorly made the analogy last week because I was kind of trying to do like a Tomlin thing and mix it all together, but Greg Maddox had sort of a similar pitch that he threw at about 88 that, to the knee buckler that Kluber throws, and that Kluber throws it in the mid-90s. I, I just can't imagine facing it. I, um, no, I, I can't. I can either. I like these are major league, done this their whole life, professional hit, hitters, and they can't hit it. They and, can't even I swing mean, at it. That's the thing. Is like it's just like they just give up on it. It's a, and it is. It's a, I don't know if you played baseball, but you just don't have the time to sit there and go. Well, that pitch looks pretty good. I mean, you really have to pick up what's going on almost directly out of the hand and you're looking for the ball being in a certain you know specific spot to where you're going to swing at it and if you see it and you give up on it there's no time to change your mind especially when it's coming mid 90s you remember the show pros versus joes yeah those guys that would try and just 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 talk shit like yeah i'll hit this guy or I'll dunk on them. And I mean, these, they were never like guys in their prime. It was always like, I mean, that show was around like 2004, 2003. So it'd be guys like Clyde Drexler, um, Dominique Wilkins, who were, you know, they were, they'd been a retired a few years. And even at that point, you know, that's, they just show how dominant they are as professional athletes. And I couldn't imagine some guy that's in a beer league softball that just thinks he's going to go out there and just crush one off of Corey Kluber. Oh, I, I wouldn't, I, in all truth, I would, you know, I always said I would love to see what a major league pitcher looks like. And the Indians have two guys on staff that I would just be like, you know, can you grab one of the other guys? And, you know, and that's Miller and Kluber. And I don't even want to know what those look like. Oh God. I just can't imagine what's going to be after this year. With Cody Allen and, and Cliff or Cliff Lee, Jesus Christ, Andrew Miller, both both contracts are up. Now I do know Miller said that he enjoys the town, and usually when guys come out and sort of just unprovoked say stuff like that, I mean i I don't know if he would give a bargain to stay out of New York or not. I mean he's experienced the New York thing. And I know a lot of guys, you know, the grass is always a little bit greener. And when you think you want to do the New York thing and some of those guys show up and do the New York thing and I don't like the New York thing. Yeah. But I mean, when you have Stanton, I mean, Stanton who's hitting like dog shit, but Stanton and Aaron judge, man, that's, that is. That's the trouble is though, is that's a lot of home runs and that's a lot of strikeouts. And sometimes that is not, and their bullpen does not look good. And, you know, I, I, I just don't know. I mean, I'm not going to, again, it's going to be like another thing. I'm not going to speculate on what he does. I just know that he has made unprovoked statements about really wishing he could get something done to stay here. I, if he ends up at the fucking Red Sox, though, I swear to God. Oh, I know. I, I'm going to, I'm going to freak. But why, again, why would you want to pitch in that stadium? I mean that's it. I mean it's. I mean the Grister's not very far away. I mean, let's face it. Fenway is the the dinosaur of the league, and it's one of the. You know, it's its own player there. I mean, you know, it's weird. 
I mean, people say that you know Fenway is just a shithole of a stadium. I mean, they try I mean, and it's try old. and doll it up. All you can do is just put lipstick on a pig, and you know it's just it's just set up for 1908 or whatever the fuck it was built, like probably the 1930s or 40s. I don't know when it was built. No, I mean it's it's. I was thinking 20s, but I, I could be wrong. Maybe 30s, but I don't think later than the 30s. And that that's that was based the best era of baseball that there was. Well, yeah, it was a great era of baseball, and I understand why they like to keep the stadium around, but I'm just saying there's no stadium that has these, you know, the wacky dimensions and all that crazy stuff. You know, maybe Houston. Houston's got kind of a wacky, wacky thing going out there with dimensions and crazy angles and all that stuff, but Fenway, just, it's, it's its own monster. I mean, even... You know, there's certain guys that struggle after playing for years in left field at Fenway. You know, historically, have struggled playing other places. It's hard for them to get used to playing deeper because they have the, you know, they have that short ass wall that you know the short porch that's sixty feet tall or whatever the hell. You know, it's weird. It's a weird stadium. Nineteen twelve. Yeah, I was gonna say I older older than dirt. And. and I mean, it, it, I should have known that. It's left field is three hundred and ten feet away. Right, right it, field is three hundred and two feet, and I mean, three hundred and two feet for a professional hitter. I mean, I saw my dad hit a ball like five hundred something feet one time, and I almost shit my pants. Um, but to for a guy. That's a professional. Three hundred feet is just not far. And I mean that pesky pole, and and the fence itself is what like two feet high out there. It's just a little cheapy, and it's like I said, it's just a jump. weird, weird little stadium with those little niches. And why would you want to work there <laughs> as a pitcher? Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, David Price, he went there, but they gave him like fucking. 250 million reasons why. Oh, right. I, you know, just saying, you know, I, I, I just hope. I don't know. I hope the window's not screaming shut. The way they're pitching, hell, they don't need a bullpen. I I, I, lo- I like old-time baseball. I don't know. Like, I read books on, like, Ty Cobb, Lou Gehrig, stuff like that. And, and that sounds boring to most people, but, man, I love that shit. No, it was a you know it's a fantastic game. It was a you know what I mean, and it's a game that's been being played the same way for you know I I, I imagine that the pitching has gotten better. That's the only thing that I hate when they're trying to def- you know kind of go through each era. I, I I have to imagine that the pitching is better. Well, they didn't play nighttime games until the forties, I believe. Oh yeah, stadiums didn't have lights and things like that. But I, I always wondered, like, what was the pitching like in in the twenties and the thirties, and you know, even up through the forties? Because you, you know, you hear about these guys and they're like, oh, he threw like one hundred eighty pitches, or hell, some guy threw both ends of a doubleheader. Well, how much fuck, fucking velocity could the guy have had then? Because if I, mean, he was th- guys- I mean, you weren't throwing ninety five for three hundred pitches a night. Well, I mean, it's just the way because now you know they had. Four starters, sometimes three back, and now you have five. So you're 
You know, you don't want to overuse the guy because he's going to get tired. But back then, fuck, man, those guys would throw all goddamn day. And like you said, sure, by the end of the game, they're probably gassed. But like right now, if I were to go out and play basketball, fuck, I'm out of shape. But, you know. Oh, round is still a but, shape, Kevin. Oh, round is a shape. Trust me, I know. <laughs> uh, Kevin's but, not round, uh, folks. This podcast. Kevin's not round. I'm just busting okay, his balls. Uh, it's just they're they're trained to just dog shit innings like every other game, and these guys now you get them right now. There was a guy I believe for Pittsburgh last week, eighty pitches was pitching a no hitter, and they pulled him. Yeah, that drives me nuts. It's like, oh, I said, you know, everybody's on, you know, I, so it just makes me wonder, you know, I mean, the one thing, I think the, the pitching in that era was a little bit different. I think they depended more on deception, off-speed, as opposed to, like, blazing-ass fastballs. I think that they would experiment with arm angles and things like that to deceive the hitter as opposed to sort of what you see in modern pitching. I mean, you have some guys who who stood the test of, fastballs and just didn't sure eventually they dropped but not I mean there are two guys offhand that I can think of and that's Nolan Ryan and Randy Johnson that just they, they had a dominant fastball for a long time I remember Randy Johnson towards the end of his career started going towards more of movement with his pitches but I mean Nolan Ryan they, he's a fucking bulldog man that guy just uh, I guess he's <laughs> For most, he's known for beating the shit out of Robin Ventura, but which is I mean, awesome. If you've never seen that, that's a that is a YouTube worthy event right there. Nolan Ryan versus Robin Ventura, ladies and gentlemen. You know what? Just while we're on that, real quick, uh, if you don't know, Nolan Ryan uh, basically got charged. He threw at Robin Ventura. He did throw at him. Ventura throws the bat down, runs at him. But, uh, no, Ryan was what like forty two at the time. Uh, Ventura was just a young kid. Ventura goes out. Ryan throws him in the side headlock and basically just pummels his face. That's a guy because I saw the other day there was like two brawls in the the one game, uh, the Yankees Red Sox game, and the pitcher threw the ball at the guy. The guy charges him out. He throws his glove at him and then he runs like a little bitch. And I say, if you got the balls to throw a you know throw a hard ass baseball at a guy, then throw your glove at him. At least stand in the pocket and and, and try to take your shot. You know, I, whoever that pitcher was, screw you, buddy. You chicken shit. You can throw shit at people, then you're gonna run away. I mean, do you? When Albert Bell runs over a guy for standing in the second baseline, uh, do you think Albert Bell's going to run away when the guy gets up and tries to fight him? Absolutely not. No. He's going to stay in the pocket, and he's going to fight him. And Nolan Ryan stayed in the pocket and said, Son of a bitch, yes, I did just hit you with a baseball. What are you going to do about it? I mean, whether or not standing on the mound had any leverage on it, but fuck, man, you're like... 29, 30 years old, and you're letting some 42-year-old guy whoop your ass. I mean, I can't imagine the shit Robin Ventura took from that. Sandy Alomar Jr. once drop-kicked a Tigers pitcher. He at least had the balls to stand in and take it. Like, like the fine drop kick, like a Dolph uh, Ziggler drop. Not like the double leg drop kick, but like there's a great picture if you fi- you can find it online and say, I mean, he's basically up in the air, front leg extended, sort of front gut kick, and Tiger's pitcher taking the brunt of it. I actually have never seen that. I, I if if 
you remind me, I will try to find a copy and I will text it to you. Uh, well, let's see here. I, uh, oh, I see it. He's kicking, uh, I can't even read that guy's jersey. Hey, I Looks forget. Like for Toronto. I forget. No, well, I think it was the Tigers. It was Tigers. Yeah, it just doesn't show, doesn't show who it is. John yeah. Doherty. So, Don Doherty had the balls to stand in the pocket. So, that's just what I'm going to say. You know, we talk about Nolan Ryan. Sorry to get, you know, off the off that topic, you know, but if, if you're going to throw at a guy, and, you, you, know, you know, especially you, whichever pitcher that was, fuck you, dude, and you're going to throw your glove at him, at least have the balls to stand in the pocket and be like, yeah, I just did that. What are you going to do about it? Yeah, I don't, I don't get that, like, the whole – like you, you see them now. They charge the mound, but like as soon as they get to the mound with the pitcher, they like they they stand up straight and kind of like they try and get into a stance. And by the time they uh, they have any time to do anything, uh, the fucking t- they're they end up throwing old men down on first base, like Pedro Martinez. Right, like the proper etiquette should be taking like three steps to the left or right so you're on level ground, set your feet, let's go, motherfucker. That should be the proper etiquette of a pitcher getting charged. Yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. Unless you're like that little Stroman dude from uh, Toronto. You might want to run. Yeah, I don't know, I don't know, um... We were talking about the Indians. I don't know. No, and you were talking about you know how those guys had sort of the blazing fastballs, and I actually wanted to go back just on your point of that a little bit further. And like I said, you know, I always wondered because when Bob Feller came along, everybody was in awe of the you know of his fastball. And in all truth, there was no such thing as a radar gun. You know, up into those points of time, they were they were using like film footage and trying to time the frames and. Somebody tried to like drive a motorcycle by him one time at the time he was throwing a fastball to try to get an accurate measure of the of the speed, and the, you know of all estimates it was high nineties and people were in awe of it. So it always just kind of made me wonder what kind of velocity did guys really have before that? You know, if Feller was such kind of a freakish, like whoa, what is this when he came along? The man who signed more autographs in his lifetime than anybody else. I even have one. I'm I'm more surprised if somebody doesn't have one. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the great Bob Feller. Yeah, and he's just one of those guys that no matter what, people still say, "Oh, Corey Kluber wasn't better than Bob Feller." It's like, "Oh, you know what? He is." You can just you can stop saying it at this point. You know, now that I kind of think about it, though, you know, Feller was kind of a decorated, you know, serviceman as well. I I, I wonder if anybody ever charged him out on Feller. I don't. I don't have uh, that in my records. I, no, I apologize. I, I don't know. I, I mean, that was just a thought. You know, just as we sort of branched all that stuff along. But um, Indians, you know, at least the last couple of games. I wish we could play the fucking Tigers all year. Jesus, they look. They look ripe and ready to be beaten. Uh, uh, are we leading the division yet? I believe we are. Uh, yeah, we we might be at this point. It, it's it's starting to look good. I mean, when like you said, when you've had nothing but you know great starting pitching. I mean, other than maybe two outings. I mean, even you you can hit one sixty for a week. Yeah, um, yeah, you're right. I uh, 
I mean, Jesus, that was some bad hitting. But we're eight and five now. If I if I if I'm right. Yeah, with the win, let's see. We are recording this, you know, late at night on the twelfth of April. <laughs> so if you're listening to this later in the week, you're like, what the hell? There's lost three games in a row. What are these assholes talking about? So this this is the the standings as of now. If my phone will load them, the Cleveland is eight and five with a half game lead over the Minnesota Twins and an early three game lead over the White Sox, a three and a half game lead over Detroit and Kansas City. Good. I mean, I was, I mean, I was never worried because, because I knew that the, the cream always rises to the top. And well, you're not going to hit 160 all year. You're just not. No, you're not going to hit 160 all year. Not with those guys. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think we're on the right track. I mean, if, I don't think that this type of pitching is going to hold up all season, but the hitting will get a lot better. If this type of pitching holds up all season, it, it, that's going to be a whole new thing. I mean, that'll be that'll be a whole new, brand new thing of magic. Because I mean, they they were for that first week of the season, like literally the worst pitching t- or worst hitting team on earth, and one of the you know most awesome pitching things you've ever seen. So, yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm just. I'm excited for the NBA playoffs right now, and then once that's over, I'll really, I'll really get into the Indians. Yeah, and it's hard. It's hard to watch in April because you know, especially those first two, three games, you really want to. You know, you have nothing else to go on, and you know, it just doesn't lend itself well to social media and things like that because it's just kind of you know, and even even for me, just a guy who's nervous about you know Josh Tomlin. And then having him come out and, like, literally in the midst of all these magical, awesome starts, you have, you know, just a complete blow-up meltdown. You know, that just it's so hard that early, especially that first month of the season, because you, you want to, you, if you have pre-existing concerns and something happens, you're like, oh, you know, I mean, oh, my goodness. This lineup's going to, you know, can this lineup, you know, keep it together? Can they hit? Oh, my God, they're hitting 160 with a team. You know, so it, it's... Well, it's breathing a little easier seeing the them string pitching And he's been awesome. Uh, so, yeah, and I'm just, you know, we'll, we'll see where the season goes from here. And every old baseball fan that I know, and I know, you know, I love talking baseball, especially with some of the old timers, because like you said, you know, I mean, it was a great, you know, some of them have seen some great periods of baseball, and I love talking baseball to the old timers, and I've never met a single one that does not want Mike Clevenger to get a haircut. Like, just take him out of the rotation until he gets his haircut. Like, it's amazing. Mike Clevenger wants so many more fans once he gets his haircut. If he gets his haircut, um, I don't know if he'll get his haircut though. Because I, oh man, I've seen a couple pictures, and what a smoke show on his arm! You're not wrong. Um, oh, you've seen the pictures as well. Speaking of, <laughs> I have. Speaking of smoke show, though, um, are you prepared finally for two weeks from tonight? I can't wait till this shit is over. I, I mean, in all truth, I, <laughs> there's some people out here. I, I mean, we're on what mock draft six hundred and fifty-seven. This is exactly what the NFL wants. They could have had this draft weeks ago. They should have had this draft weeks ago. They should have had this draft a couple months ago. 
I, it's, it makes me, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like a bad fan because I see these people in, you know, they're the, they're the Browns fans. They're the Browns, you know, the people of, of Browns, you know, interacting on social media, things like that. The Browns Twitter, these fun guys, and they haven't stopped. I mean, this has been going on since literally like week four of the season. It's like, how do you still have more material on the draft? And I mean, I've seen guys as, oh, Mayfield, Mayfield, oh, Rosen, Rosen, Rosen. I mean, you're just flip-flopping on these guys left and right. And it's just like, holy Christ. I mean, and I think the only thing I want to say, because I know we want to do sort of our draft preview next week. Right. I, that was kind of our plan going into yeah. it. So, I mean, I don't want to bury into my value of draft picks and my ideal picks and, and all this different stuff because I really want to actually, you know, talk about a little bit of some other stuff tonight too. But, man, I am so sick of hearing about these quarterbacks. I don't think any of them are worthy of of this, of what this draft is becoming. I don't think there's one that should be up there. And they've got five up there. Yeah. Um, I don't know. And, I, I, and, I, and I can't talk about it. I can't talk about it to, to, with anybody because everybody's hung up on some college boy's jock. You, you realize if you are sitting here drooling over a quarterback in this draft that you are hanging on a college boy's jock, well, this Robert Klemko guy who's doing a story on Baker Mayfield, anybody who says anything directly negative about Baker Mayfield, he comes at he comes at him and it's just like, man, like like we don't like sure he might be a good guy off the field, but RG three is a good guy off the field. It doesn't translate to anything. You know, my friend my friend Aaron's a good guy off the field. I mean you know, and that's I said, and that's where you know I have fun making jokes on social media and things like that. But I use the pl- that's what I use my platform for. I try to, to have an entertainment. It's just so tough. Everybody gets so uptight about all this shit anymore, and it's just like, oh, but he's a good who. I don't give a flying fuck what any of them are like off the field. I want to know what they're like on the field, and unless they're off the field, is gonna fuck up their on the field. Like certain guys we've drafted before, I don't give a fuck. Yeah, I, I could I could care less to be honest. I um They're college boys and I'm not obsessing over college boys' personal lives, like so many of the rest of you are lately. I mean I mean really like is it, I'm gonna say one thing about him and I'm never gonna say anything about him again. How the fuck is Johnny Manziel gonna say, Well if the Browns would have done their homework on me, they would have known that I don't do my homework. What like, a, what a moron. I, I mean, seriously, what a moron. I'm not 1,000% convinced that if for some weird reason that I would ever be out and about and like Johnny Manziel and some little entourage walk by, I'm not 100% sure I couldn't resist going over and punching him in his head. How the fuck do you say that? Like, they, they invested a future into you. And you say, well, if they would have done their homework, they would have realized that I didn't work that hard and I didn't know how to do it. Fuck you anyways i'm gonna say this i'm gonna say this it's just life advice i've had issues you know i mean i it's usually a season where i don't do a lot you know twitter wise anyway 
But I'll admit, you know, I kind of took my little break and I'd come on periodically. When I sat down and really started reading again, I mean, the politics was driving me nuts. And of course, all this crap about Manziel was driving me nuts. And and I'm going to tell you right now, there is not a former professional athlete in the world that I hate worse than Johnny Manziel. I figured out, you know, I had a couple people help me out and say, hey, did you try muting words? And I kind of forgot that you could do that. So if you take your Twitter feed and go and mute Trump and then Trump's possessive, Manziel and then Manziel's possessive, it makes the experience so much better. Like instant fix. Well, all right. Type uh, those four things in your muted words list and your timeline is healed. Well, good. I have uh, nothing else to add about Johnny Manziel. So... Um, I was actually I, just giving advice on how to erase his ass. I uh, I don't know. Like I said, I want to get I want to get into it more next week. So, what do you think about Jarvis Landry's new contract? Uh, you know, a lot of people are throwing a fit. The Browns have money to spend. The whole, holy crap! Let's let's do it. Let's not pretend like we've just walked into the worst contract that anybody's got in this NFL. Well, uh, um. And I may have been wrong earlier. I tweeted out that he had four. He might only have three. Um, but Jarvis Landry has more Pro Bowls than the entire Browns roster since 1999. So if you want to bitch about that, because he's not a few inches taller, like, what the fuck do you want? Like, the guy has 50 more receptions than the next closest receiver in NFL history for the first four seasons. Like, I don't know. Just because he doesn't – he's not a um, – yards after the catch the yak guy like so he's not odell beckham but who is i mean and now just gets, to clarify he's had more pro bowls than any browns wide receiver since total. 99 right okay i just i wasn't sure you, lo- you lost total. me and i was like wait a minute joe thomas made more pro bowls than that i don't know the braylon edwards has one josh gordon has one that's it for the receiving court. okay i just wanted to clarify that because i because you forgot to say wide receiver so I, I didn't i knew what you were talking about but i want to make sure everybody else knew what you were talking about before they fact check your ass oh <laughs> i'm just watching uh, your back, you know, I, I i'm completely happy with it get me a receiver i'm glad john dorsey you know he thinks that it well they just affect you he know, understands we got to field a team now. Who is it? Who was our GM that didn't like wide receivers? Oh, that was Ray Farmer. Yeah, Ray. Ray, Ray Farmer wasn't sure why we needed one. Yeah. Wait, you need three? <laughs> what? Oh, blasphemy! Corey Coleman was supposed to be Jarvis Landry. He He's just not. never turned Jarvis Landry. He never will. Um. And on his best day, Corey Coleman would be, on his best day, would be someone like Andrew Hawkins. But he won't reach that level. He just, for whatever reason, he can't stay on the field. And, yeah, and, he's going to have to stay on the field. I, I mean, a wide receiver with broken hands. What's more Cleveland Browns than that? Like, I mean, Cleveland Browns the last few years than that. A running back with no feet. Yeah, the running back with broken feet. Yeah. Whose knees don't bend. uh, I just, I don't get it. Um, But, you know, 
for anyone that wants to bitch about it, okay, so we don't have a wide receiver. Then what? Then Tyrod Taylor can't throw the ball. Then you want to throw the ball to fucking Josh Gordon 50 times a game in triple coverage. Like, oh, I want Tyrod Taylor to tear it up so bad this year. But I think with a competent quarterback and Jarvis Landry on one side, um, I think David Njoku could really open up that field. It's a whole new show, and I mean, Njoku, I, and, I, and I hate to say this, the one thing I do hate to say is when you when you get into wide receivers and tight ends especially, um, the, those are very tough positions. When you have a rookie year, you usually don't see, and not that it hasn't happened before, but it's very rare for a rookie to be super impactful at a wide receiver or a tight end position. And, and that's it. I mean, I, I can think of a couple, like Randy Moss, he had 15 touchdowns in 98. Um, and, and in that, I mean, other than I, I that. Think I think Anquan Bolden had a good rookie year. I mean, but I mean, it's so few and far between. I mean, that's where you're going. It's like you really have to search for guys who had stellar rookie years as tight ends and wide receivers. It's just not something that happens very often. And with a rookie quarterback with a rookie quarterback so you know i i hate to say it the 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 future is now for njoku now you know this is going to be the year where we find out whether that was a great pick or not absolutely um and 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 on that note i would i'd really like to get into what we're both salivating on talking about yes for anyone who's familiar we usually do a nice hour of sports talk and then you'll find that like why in the hell is this podcast an hour and 45 minutes long and I'll tell you why. We are nerds. Marks, uh, some people might call them. I, uh, I'm not necessarily a member of the IWC, but because the, I mean, they those guys they take it to heart. It would be the what is it the internet wrestling community? Yes, the IWC. Um, but I think that this was the biggest weekend of the year. Um, not necessarily the best weekend of the year, but it's looked at as the biggest, not only for for WWE, but for for anyone involved in the business. Um, Absolutely, were... I, you know. Before we go forward, I just kind of had a quick thought this week because I watched like an old like WrestleMania three. You know, I was kind of getting pumped up for the week and stuff like that. And I thought about this in that era. They really only run four major shows a year. You know, you had. The only pay-per-views they had was, you know, typically WrestleMania, SummerSlam, Survivor Series, and then, the, you know, the Royal Rumble. And that was yeah. sort of your big four rotation. Your television shows were honestly shit. You would always get mid-carder versus guy you never heard of, you know, storyline, mid-carder guy you never heard of, and maybe two mid-carders in a main event going against. You never got meaningful matches on television. Oh, sure. At that time, you know, you're getting, like, a junkyard dog versus, uh, you know, you know Steve Wonderful Paul Orndorff. Well, no, I mean, you wouldn't even get that. I mean, Orndorff wouldn't have been in there. He'd have been against some guy in black panties who was standing there when he come out. You know, it was... Oh, pumping his fist at the crowd. Yeah, there's, you know, Steve Marcus. You know, hey. <laughs> Local talent Steve Marcus. Right, so he, you know, and he's got... He was the heel. He'd have the beard and the bald head, and he'd give oh, the neat look to the kid. Oh, the bald head with like the little mini trucker mullet behind it. Oh yeah, and it just gets slammed through the fucking floor. And about you, you know, he usually got like two or three moves off, like right off the bat. You're like, oh man, Steve Marcus, and then the onslaught would go on, and and then the poor man that had no chance. 
And in those matches were usually four to five minutes long. They they give the local talent, you know, a chance to shine for five seconds and get the get the baby face over. Because essentially in wrestling, the main job is to get the baby face over. That's right. You want the crowd cheering for the guy they want to cheer, or be horribly disappointed when they lose. Yeah, and you want them to go, oh, the collective, oh, when they lose. So, um, but but as far as the weekend, I mean, there were 60, 60 shows, over 60 shows total in the New Orleans era, area because of the the draw that is WrestleMania. Right, All and, this- that's, and that's kind of my point is it's incredible because it was such an event back then. You know, you have seven hours of weekly television now with important matches and storylines going through it. It's harder for them to make WrestleMania special. Don't you think? I mean, in this day and age? I mean, you have so many people that you now have to add two battle royals to the WrestleMania just to give them a spot on it. Um, with, with that, you know, and I, I don't think that necessarily the competing companies have anything to do with it, but I think fans are a lot smarter than they were back. And I don't want to say smarter. I think that they're with more the internet. Or, yes. Um, back then, kids were crying. Um, Papa Shango was making the Ultimate Warrior throw up, so people are legitimately scared. Now we would say, <laughs> what the fuck is he? Why is he? Like, what? going on here. Definitely the wrestle craps next article here. Yeah, absolutely. And and now you can't do it's not a I mean that era kind of died in late 95 early 96 with the whole cartoon cartoon era dying off and getting into the more real aspect of it and and it's a whole new like the, the attitude era, I don't want to say that even smartened fans up cuz but I think the internet is what smartened fans up. The internet was the one that smartened the fans up. The the attitude era made us all dumber. I mean, in all truth, I mean, we marked out like hell <laughs> during that era. And then, you know, then the internet came along and was like, "Oh, that's right. This shit's fake." Oh, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like Yeah. I mean, we were we were believing it and I mean, I don't want to say we were believing it. Cause that time, we were like teenagers, and we were like, "Oh, we just want fucking Stone Cold to kick Vince McMahon's ass." Right? Old, uh, my boss's ass. Fuck him. That's what I'm just saying. We were marking the fuck out for those matches. It's like it's still real to me. Damn it. Yeah. When that glass breaks, I tell you what, I still mark out. I'm still. You know, you hear the glass break, you're like, Psh! or something yeah. breaks in your house. <laughs> And if you don't know what marking out means, it is a wrestling term for believing it's real even though you know it's not. And just getting way more excited than you should. Yes, being way more into it than any rational human being should, yes. That is why if you ever hear a wrestler call somebody a mark, it's not a good thing for that person. Right, you are... I mean, and that's that. you are what I was during the NXT show. Yeah, and if... If you would like to, I will hand the proverbial microphone over to you and let you speak on this show because, un- unfortunately, I wanted to give you the respect of watching the show even though I said I wouldn't. But with time ran its course this week, I didn't get a chance to. I still would like to see a couple of those matches that I heard about, but I will let you take the floor. It is all yours. Well, I said, I, you know, WrestleMania is such a big weekend, and it's so weird because, you know, WrestleMania is now this incredible seven-hour show. But even before that, 
there is a secondary federation called NXT. It's their developmental. It's largely ignored by the mainstream wrestling population, but some people do still enjoy watching what they consider their developmental talent. And they put on a show that not only, you know, blew fans away, but blew the internet away. And, and you know that's hard to do in wrestling anymore. If the internet's going to do something, they're going to bitch about it. They're not going to say how great something was. And that's how good their quote-unquote developmental talent did at their at the NXT show before WrestleMania. And if you didn't see it, there was a ladder match, a fantastic ladder match. Uh, they created a new NXT North American title. And it was an intriguing match. It featured Adam Cole, who was a Ring of Honor, you know, a big, big wig at the Ring of Honor. Uh, EC3, who was a big wig at um, Impact Wrestling. Uh, Ricochet, who, I, I mean, pretty much won the crowd over in literally one move. And this guy was a guy who was performing and tearing it up in Japan. And then you have you have the homegrown talent come in there. Lars Sullivan, which I was disappointed in the crowd because if you haven't seen this Lars Sullivan guy yet, holy crap, here's, you know, I mean, just another crazy bruising monster. Uh, Killian Dane, another crazy bruising monster that they've sort of built up in, in-house. And then the Velveteen Dream, who's a nut, who's a nutball gimmick who literally did all the, some of the craziest, toughest spots of the entire match. It was nuts. Won by Adam Cole. It had the place on fire for a championship match between uh, Andrade Cien Almas and Aleister Black. I've given Kevin some uh, some of my stuff about Aleister Black that uh, that I can't share with the rest of you. But this guy's fucking awesome too. You're probably going to have Cien Almas on the main roster soon enough. He tore it up in the Royal Rumble already he's already made his debut so i can't imagine he's too far off maybe even the the superstar shakeup that's coming up soon will bring him in there so if you haven't went back go to your network check that nxt takeover new orleans out it's it's awesome the future is bright kevin i'm sure it is i i will take i i am still planning on watching it um so like I said, I will watch it. Um, Jesus, I mean, we're we're an hour and fifteen into it already, and we haven't even started on the main card. So we haven't even made it to the main card, which was we can get through it pretty quick. I mean, the first uh... now I'm going to say this just as a whole: is there were some really really cool moments in WrestleMania. Uh, you said some things last week that that kind of stuck with me just talking about how hot the crowd would be and how and I really thought for you know in particular being a seven hour show I mean in all truth they say it's a five hour show but that doesn't even count those two battle royals that you talked about and the cruiserweight it's a seven hour show if you're gonna go and watch it I mean you feel like you when it's over you don't feel like you experienced it. You feel like you just basically survived it. Yeah, you survived it. You lived through it. And and I thought that the crowd in New Orleans was actually really good because I, I know they've had a couple crowds in the last couple of WrestleManias being such a long show kind of peter out. Ooh, that Daniel Bryan crowd was... I mean, they were lucky enough to experience the pinnacle of the Yes movement, so... I will give them that, and they did not. They did not disappoint. But this year, um, 
every year it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and longer and longer, and you just have to, you know, just survive it. And I mean, I feel bad kind of complaining about it because they give so many guys matches. But the one thing I will say is there's probably going to be a lot of matches that we don't talk about just because I felt like they squeezed so many matches. And it's hard to imagine squeezing so many matches into a five hour time slot, but they squeezed so many matches into it. There were a couple matches that I felt were rushed. Like I felt like they. Like, in particular, there was the three-way tag match where basically it turned into a squash match for the Bludgeon Brothers, which score one for us. I think we both predicted that. Yeah, I mean, I'm not necessarily sure that was a difficult one to predict, but a five-minute squash match, essentially. Right. Which I, I mean, don't... against the New Day, I mean, especially with the New Day and the Usos out there, it was that, that, that to me felt like a match that was like, holy crap, guys, you need to get yours done. Well, I think that's what it was. I think they got cut short because of some other things, and they they still had time to go, and they just said, okay, make it quick, show your dominance, get your spots in, but you need to win. Right. The other match, there was another match to me that felt a little bit rushed, and it was kind of it was one of the four-way matches. I don't think it was the intercontinental, because they opened... Shoot, I'm trying to remember how the show even flowed there, but they it, did... They I think it was the U.S. The- it was no. a U.S. championship match because I remember, like, the second the, mat- the match before it cleared, it was like they just ran the guys out almost instantly. They didn't do a video, you know, video lead-in or nothing. It was just like, here's the match. Here you go. And Are I remember you talking that- about the first match? Of- no, not the first match of the night. It was the one right – it was whichever one was right before the the Ronda Rousey and all that stuff we'll talk about, but – it was one with Rude and them in it. I just felt like that match was really kind of rushed and thrown out really I, quickly. Um, yeah, I think uh, if we're going to talk about the U.S. title, it was Rusev, Orton, Rude, and Mahal. I think basically they gave Randy Orton the title for a month to say, hey, or whatever, you're a Grand Slam champion. You're going to probably take a uh, – a part-time deal right now after this. Um, here you go. We're going to run you in another program with Mahal. I just don't like Mahal getting anybody but Mahal. That's all I said. <laughs> That's a, that. Uh, careful I mean, what you anyone, wish for. Anyone but Mahal. Like, guy gives me nothing. Like, it's now okay. And I don't want to fucking say it to anybody, but it's not September 12th. 2001. I don't need you to give me a guy that looks like he's from the Middle East to be a heel to make me mad. You don't have to do that. Like, just because he's from there doesn't make me hate the guy. I hate the guy because he's not good. Um, <laughs> I, he's a former world champion, Kevin, and the current U.S. champion. So is David Arquette. Um, no, so, well... David so, Arquette. Had, David Arquette had a nasty finisher. I mean, fucking <laughs> Psycho Sid was a former champion. And and Jim Cornette said the best about Psycho Sid. He compared him to Art Anderson. He's like, who would you rather have? And most people said, I'd rather have Psycho Sid. He's like, well, Psycho Sid can draw you a million dollars in one show, but he's not good for fucking dick. But Art Anderson can draw you great money for 20 years. He's like, so you pissed away one shot with Psycho Sid. You blew your load, and and, and he's right. Psycho Sid was a fucking terrible champion, and, and and so was Jinder Mahal. 
you gotta learn your lesson, man. Like, it's just not good. Like, I want to, like, fucking give Rusev Day to everybody. Everybody wants Rusev Day. Christ, my, my two-year-old, he looked at me last, two nights ago, and he said Rusev Day. And I said, he's getting ready for bed. I said, I said, it's okay. I said, because when you wake up tomorrow, it's still gonna be Rusev Day. And, and he laughed. I mean, he didn't know what the fuck I was talking about, because anything I say is funny to him. But, I mean, like, everybody wants Rusev Day. Just give it to us. Like, I'm, as much, God, as much as I don't want fucking Randy Orton, I don't even remember who I compared him to last week, but I know it was not pleasant. Um, give it back to Randy Orton, Christ's sake. Well, the trouble is, is in the Intercontinental match, they've had that belt on a heel for a long, long time, and they finally took it off. I think they decided, well, then the U.S. belt's kind of the comparable. Well, let's put it on our heel on the other show and run with that. Is that a, I mean, maybe, because now the Intercontinental belt's on with Seth Rollins, and what was a pretty good match. That was actually a really good match. I it was a good match. It felt like more of a spot match to me, where guys were just trying to get their moves in. Um, yeah, I, get think, their I hate to say that's what WrestleMania is going to be for a lot of it, though. It's like you have to showcase your move set, you have to put all your stuff. Yeah, you know I mean, you got to get your stuff in the right order and all that. I, I I kind of expect that now at, at WrestleMania. This is what I don't understand about the match, though. To kick it off, the Miz told the Miz Brash to go back into the back, which is. The exact opposite of what heels do. Um, I don't necessarily understand that. And I would have understood if he would have won. He would have shown he doesn't need that. But for him to send them back, and then for him just to come back on Monday Night Raw and wrestle again, he wasn't going away to spend time with his wife and baby. So I just, I don't understand why he did that. Sure, it's wrestling. I get it. We're not supposed to understand it. We're not supposed to think about it. Vince McMahon doesn't think that we remember this shit or think about it. But I just wonder why he would have done that. Yeah, I, I, I didn't understand. I don't quite understand the booking there. I mean, he, he's he been building up that he's going to be the longest tenured. And you, and you felt that if he, I, you know, I felt that if he lost it, he probably wasn't going to come back. You know, maybe even so. I mean, maybe he's going to, like, phase out. Because, you know, Jericho said he was going away, and then he, like, showed up for a few more weeks, and then, like, you didn't see Jericho anymore. Sure, but, I mean, I just like I just don't get it. Like, people people like the men. People will say that they don't, but they do. Um, and I'm one of the people, and I believe you are, too. I, he's one of those guys, and it's just kind of funny that I mentioned Chris Jericho, because Chris, Chris Jericho was the first guy like this that you know when you watch wrestling it's kind of like you're watching you know you know you're watching a program and you're not mark you know it was said we're not marking out the entire time we're watching it and i remember w in wcw and i, I would watch you know, the nitros and stuff and i remember growing it like a genuine dislike for chris jericho like i genuinely hated chris jericho <laughs> and then like i remember you know and i'm not Thinking I'm marking out. I'm not. I'm just going through the show. It's like, oh, this one, this one. God, I hate that guy. Oh, okay, okay, okay. 
And, you know, I kind of realized at one point, I was like, God, I hate Chris Jericho so much. I was like, I am marking out on him. Like, he's done a great job of making me hate his ass. And ever since then, I've loved him because I know what a great job he's done. And I think The Miz is one of the closest things to that that I've seen since. Uh, yeah, I mean, I can see that. Um, you know, it's, I hate The Miz so much. God, I hate that. You know what I mean? It's like, and you get to the end of the show, you're like, God, I hate that guy. Like, how in the hell is he still wrestling here? What the fuck is he doing? You know what I mean? And then you realize, he's the guy I'm pissed about. Holy shit, yeah, he's I, doing a great job. I don't know. He's just, he just earned the respect. Um, uh, yeah, um... And that that match just confused the shit out of me, but hey. Strange booking. It's not like we've never said that before with them. Um, the yeah. women's matches. Um I was I was actually really proud of WWE for putting for putting the Raw's women cha- Raw women's championship on Nia Jax. I was too. And not for the whole angle of her being bigger, her you know, that whole bully, you know, whatever the fuck that they were saying, like, I don't care. I mean in right. all honesty, I don't very care, pretty. But, but traditionally they do. Yeah, and, I, I, I think that she's earned it over time. Right, she, she is. You know, when you look at her, like, like I said, I don't need when you watch the TNA and you see Killian Dane, you know, very round. Speaking of pear shaped, you know, I mean, this guy is a you know monster. Doesn't wear a shirt. Has hair everywhere. You don't want to see hair. I don't watch wrestling because I'm looking for great-looking people. I don't need to sit in Newgold. And, and I'm the same way with the women. Yes, yeah, some of those women are absolutely beautiful, and I don't think Nia Jax is, is, hor- is, is by any means a, a horrible-looking woman. She's just not, not your traditional beauty. And that is something that is has very rarely been pushed in the recent, you know, in recent WWE or in, even in some of the... You know, smaller, you know, local things. You never see ugly girls, you know, you know, doing or girls that aren't stick skinny and, and, you know, bleach blonde. So to me, it was just really, I, because I, I love her as a performer. And I think she's awesome. I do too. I think that over time, you know, she's earned it kind of like Naomi over time. She, they didn't have to force it down our throat, but they gave it to her when the time was right. Um, I think at WrestleMania 30, but I don't remember when she first won. But I thought it was good for her; she earned it. Um, uh, but with the you know Nia Jax, she's done good. I I don't. It was a decent match between the two. She took out Nikki James at first. You know, good. Okay, good match. Right, and like I said, I was just happy with him because it's like, hey, we're gonna give you, you know, our an atypical champion and on our biggest show, and against you know a champion in Alexa Bliss that you know they think the world of, and I wouldn't be surprised if she has that belt buried back around her waist in two weeks. You know, I mean, the way that you know they sure. love Alexa Bliss there, and then there was the other women's match, which was uh, highly anticipated. Um, Oscar versus Charlotte Flair. Um, now I'm gonna say I, you know, I absolutely love Oscar. I've told you before. I, I'm I, I loved her. She's age appropriate for me. Um, 
I was disappointed to see her lose, but I really do truly believe that Charlotte Flair is the best thing going today. Well, I think that I think that it needed to happen because if there was anybody that was going to do it, it would have been Charlotte. Um, streaks, streaks eventually end, and she could not have her streak end to someone like, no offense to them, but someone like Bailey or something like that, who's a hugger, and I, I just I think that it was right, um, and I, I I don't know, I just I think that. I don't know why they needed a hug afterwards. I, I, I don't it, sign up back. It's one of those but, strange matches where it's hard to make. I think they wanted Oscar to run heel for the match in a similar way to like John Cena. I just don't think you know, Oscar's just has a, a bizarre delivery. English is not her first language, and when she speaks, she. I mean, I, I just, I, I love it. I'm not trying to make fun of it, but when she does speak English, she sounds absolutely insane, like a wrestler is supposed to. And I think it's hard for people not to get behind it. So. I I don't know. I just, I don't know. I, I, I think it, it, it finished right. Um, you know, Charlotte is, she's the best. She's the best. She's, she's the best. Oscar's good, and I think you know it's a great way though because with that, nobody's denying Oscar isn't awesome. So beating Oscar, tearing down the streak, is going to elevate Charlotte Flair, and eventually Oscar takes the belt from Charlotte Flair. She's a, you know it's it's going to work itself out. It's going to elevate that belt. It's going to elevate the title. It's going to elevate both of them in the long run. I do believe. Um, yeah, I mean, I I can see that. Um... Uh, the another match that um, the women were involved. Um, Ronda Rousey, Kurt Angle versus Stephanie and Triple H. Okay, I'm gonna say something. Um, I, I was not a huge Ronda Rousey fan in, in MMA. I thought that she was overrated, okay. uh, sort of entitled, uh, but also important in, in 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 what she did. You know, it's one of those that has always been polarizing to me. And it's like even the matches, even the fights that she lost, she lost because she was trying to challenge herself. And it's hard for me to sit there and say, man, you know, I mean, you want to criticize her on one hand because it's like, you know, if you really would have went in there and tried for the takedown, you know, you could have armbarred either of those, you know, especially Holly Holm very easily. Holly Holm has no ground game. <laughs> but she didn't. She stayed in the pocket. She won the box. She won the show she could do it. She just couldn't. And she could have reinvented herself and did that. And, and I did. I took exception to it where it's like, okay, I lost. I lost trying something different. Maybe I should just go back to old trusty, go back, rip through the mid card of the UFC and get, you know, and, and get there. That's what fighters are supposed to do. Ronda Rousey didn't do that. She lost a couple times and said, oh, shit, I don't want to do this. I got knocked out. That's not fun. What the fuck? And so, you know, I've never had this warm and fuzzy feeling about her coming here. But at the same time, polarizing. I thought with the judo, with what judo entails, she's going to be able to take bumps. The wrestling training might actually come very natural for her. It might actually be something that she could be accelerated at right off the bat. But then immediately you throw into the kind of what to me is always the clunker nostalgia match of WrestleMania, 
which is usually something in the last few years that has grinded the show to a complete halt. And this match was awesome. She did a great job. And I'm going to say this. You got this girl have her wrestling in-ring debut in a stadium at WrestleMania. And let's face it, in a very, very tricky and taboo match to work. I it have... was not as, it oh. was not easy for her first match to be on this stage, that's for sure. And especially such a tricky match to work, where, where the men were interacting with the women, and, and done in a way that's been very taboo, especially for the W for them to put that on their grand stage, for them to put a match like that on there with someone who's never worked an in-ring match before, I thought was ballsy. I thought she did a fan-fucking-tastic job. And not to I mention that, that her buddy Shayna Baszler also won the NXT title in a, in a really good match at the, <laughs> at the NXT takeover. So, Yeah, I, I think that um, she was put in the spot in the match where everything had revolved around her um, to make her look good. You know, Kurt Angle has seen his heyday. Triple H can't pin Ronda Rousey. Well, I guess he could. Um, if, he, if he could, he would. But, you know, it's not necessarily believable for Stephanie to pin her unless she gets, like, a pedigree and put on top of her. So I, that, I think what happened in the match, you know, and honestly, I thought at one Triple H was going to tap out to her. So Yeah, um, I was actually kind of hoping they were going to go that angle I, until I realized I need Stephanie in the armbar. Sure, and I think that, you know, they did what they needed to do to get her over, and she didn't. She didn't disappoint. I don't think she went out of her way to make herself look like Ricochet, but she held her own. She didn't she didn't look like shit and she has potential. I think I yeah, I really agree. I mean I hope she improves her mic skills. I mean that's gonna be important for her going forward, but but wow. I mean really and truly, I mean, for someone, you know, I wanted to see it, and I saw it. She did. She did a fantastic job, and the, the, for once, the nostalgia act match of WrestleMania did not screech the show to a halt. I, you're right. Um, I mean, it was. I mean, nostalgia matches like Triple H and Sting, where the NWO and shit comes out. Yeah, and turns, so they always uh, have to do a nostalgia match, and you know, and people complain about it. And I always say, just thank your lucky stars. It's not Michael, Michael's Flair and Hogan, you know. So, yeah, I mean, the only, the only <laughs> takeaway I have of that match with Triple H and Sting is why the fuck didn't Sting just win? Right, that that did make me mad. Like Sting should have won. Up Triple H to win. Yeah, I, I mean, I hate to say it, Triple H is not Sting. Triple, uh, Triple H is in the... It, it, it's hard for me to call him a wrestling legend. Oh, because, Triple H? Yeah, because now he's like full-on executive. So to me, like his thing, I don't know. I have a hard time putting him in, in like the same when you say Rock Austin... You know, Rock Austin and Hogan and Cena and all these people who've had great success. It's hard for me to put Triple H in that because I know he's the guy who's going to end up being the lifer. His career's never over. The thing with... Yeah, I mean... The, anyways, I'm not going to dwell on the past with that, but 
but but it was a decent match, and I, I just think that it went the way it should have. Um, a, a match that I didn't think the way it went the way it should have was another another tag team match, and that was Daniel Bryan and Shane versus Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. All right, how did you think that should have went? Because we now have Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn fired because Bryan and McMahon won. I think that either Shane or Daniel Bryan should have made a heel turn and 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 just and just somebody has to. And I know there's going to be a superstar shakeup next week. So why even fire the guys if there's going to be a superstar shakeup and eventually they'll end up on the roster? Like I don't get that. Like what is the point of doing it if the next week you're going to shake it up? So I think it was I think it was partly late notice on Daniel Bryan being available and the fact that Daniel Bryan, Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, you know, guys like that, AJ Styles are all great friends as far as being those independent guys. So to me like it was a it was it, to me, I think it was another one that was destined to be badly booked because I think it was just like Daniel Bryan gets to come back. Let's put him in a match with some of his buddies and give Shane his. You know, I mean, it, it was like kind of check off the things of how we got what we got to have at WrestleMania. Well, we got to have our token Shane match now again. That's now a thing, sure. and you know, it was, okay, okay, we can pop him in with Bryan. Oh yeah, 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 it'll be a great thing. So. Yeah, like I said, it could have been booked better, but I think this was one of those that they just kind of threw on there to check off a couple of the WrestleMania checklist items. And that, to me, is why I think that got booked sort of boring and strange. Sure. Um, but I, I just I just feel like... I, I don't know. I just feel like something should have happened, and it just didn't. Like, eh. Well, yeah, how, was, how about a match that did happen that we weren't sure was going to happen, but the obvious thing that needed to happen did happen? That was the weirdest fucking match I have ever seen. Because I'm going to say that we couldn't have John Cena and The Undertaker in one place without the true legend of the WWE coming in, and that being Elias. I personally walk I, with Elias. And I think that without Elias, we couldn't have had Undertaker come out and squash John Cena in like three minutes. Uh, I don't. I don't know. I don't have. I just. I have no words for this. Like, I get. I mean, I just don't like. And he. And John Cena took the shittiest fucking big boot. He was five feet away from him when he, you know, put his foot up in the air. <laughs> there was so many pictures online of the, the missed big boot. <laughs> and I mean, and and he he beat him in like four minutes, and uh, and now Taker's wrestling in a few weeks, and you're like, what the fuck is going on here? Right? They kept saying he's back, he's back, he's back. Now he looked really good for the three minutes, but like I said, with, with without in all seriousness, without Elias coming in, and he, I mean, the segment would have been a flop. I've said going into it that the only acceptable answer to this this whole thing, the way it was set up so poorly. And then you know, very bizarrely, I, I the one I didn't like, 
I didn't like how they kind of shit on the end of the Charlotte Flair Oscar match where they were kind of doing the resolve and you know and like you said you didn't care that they were hugging or not but they kind of ruined the whole fucking thing by having Cena go running through and you know I hated the whole setup to this thing I really did I hated the, the the angle that they went with Cena being like you're a coward and all that because like I said in 15 years when some you know somebody's coming up and saying I want Cena to Wrestlemania your 55 year old ass better crawl out of bed put on an orange t-shirt and crawl down there and wrestle the kid but you know you let Elias eat up the segment and then the Taker literally had three minutes of fury in him and son of a bitch he squashed his ass and Thanks to Elias saving the segment, he was able to come out and squash his ass in a in a WrestleMania segment that was bizarre at best. Well, this is where I'm at with it. Like the whole thing was John Cena was like, "We've never wrestled at WrestleMania. This is the biggest, this biggest match in my career, and all this other shit." And I'm just like, "Wait a second. So you're telling me you're building this up for weeks? You're telling me that Cena versus Undertaker at WrestleMania?" is supposed to be, and I, I sh- sure, they didn't want to use this as a crutch to sell anything, but you could have, and then you make it a squash match? Yeah, very bizarre. I not I wasn't I wasn't a fan of the setup. I wasn't a fan of the, the only thing that I was a fan of in this thing, once again, was Elias. I, I, I just... I don't know. I just... Uh, anyways, back... Uh, this what? is the weirdest fucking thing I've ever seen. What's that? The Bar versus Braun Strowman versus a mystery partner. Okay, I, I am going to say this. It was... This is another one. I mean, I hate to say they got this superstar shakeup coming. So, I, so many matches did have poor resolve because I think that they're just like, we don't have to run a storyline with this now because we're just fucking everything up in a couple weeks anyway. So, this was another one that was just set up to have poor resolve. I mean, uh, to me, obviously, that just means Sheamus and Cesaro are moving to the other show. <laughs> I mean, in all truth, that's what this indicates to me now. Um,. But Braun Strowman goes without partner into the ring and says, one of you will be my tag team partner. And then he decides he's just going to pick a random person, but unlike anyone else who's ever picked a random person, Braun Strowman decides to not go out of sort of the first couple rows because the same fucking people sit there every goddamn week, and in WrestleMania was no different. He's like, I'm not going to pick any of these assholes because he knows. So he walked to the other side and found a 10-year-old boy named Nicholas. Very random, who just happened to be one of the referee's sons. John Cohn, if I'm correct. Very lucky for Braun Strowman to have found maybe the one child in the entire arena who's not going to be a lawsuit liability. Um, Puts him in the ring, Nicholas... Nicholas gets a huge pop. I think Nicholas is more over than half the roster. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, they proceed to win the belt uh, pretty expectedly. Uh, Braun Strowman's awesome. He should have been walking home with the Universal title. In my opinion, he's the heavyweight champion of the WWE right now. I think he is the most convincing performer they have. If I had to, if, if I just walked in there and they said, okay, who should be champion? I would say Braun Strowman should be your champion right now. 
But they decided to go with this tag team angle, and him and Nicholas went, uh, and then one day later he sat there and was basically like, oh, yeah, he's got a scheduled conflict. He's in the fourth grade. Here's your belts back. So we got a scheduled conflict. And then it's like, pause. He's still in the fourth grade. Like, no shit. And then, I, you know, though, Nicholas, to his credit, boy, they had to peel that belt off his shoulder. Like, yeah, I they, earned that yeah. motherfucker standing scared behind those ropes. Yeah, I don't know. Fuck. Get these hands. I really liked it. I will say it wouldn't have worked had Nicholas got up on the apron and been like, you know, like some sort of perform. You know what I mean? Started going out there and cutting the promo. The only reason it really worked was because Nicholas stood like frightened behind the ropes and it was kind of like, okay. Like, even though like this was set up, like this kid was totally not ready for this. And I think that's what kind of made it work. You know, it wasn't performed. Nicholas does like come out there, grab the mic, like, get these hands. Like, it had been like, oh, fuck. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, yeah. To me, uh, I, I, here, uh, can I cheer you up on this match a little bit? What if it had been one of your boys? What To me, the whole time I was thinking, what if that had been my girl? Like, <laughs> she'd have shit her pants. Like, what if it had been one of your boys that got pulled out of the crowd? Like, okay, you're Braun Strowman's tag team partner. I mean, sure, but there's like the whole thing is, like, if you're trying to advance a storyline in some capacity, bring someone back, make someone a tag team partner that you can use. I mean, fuck any fucking thing. But think about no. it this way, though. Like I said, they got the superstar shakeup. You're probably going to want to try to take the belts off of somebody that's going to have them. You give it to Braun. You just put Braun over. You don't have to worry about who has these fucking belts during the shakeup now. You don't have to worry about the belts going anywhere, and you're not handcuffed to having anybody there. Like I said, this was another instance of poor booking just due to the fact that they got... There's going to be no resolved storylines coming out of this show. There's no way I mean, for I'm these not, matches to go afterwards because they're going to change everything. I'm not going to shit on the kid for getting his moment in the sun. And to me, if you say, you know, Bobby Lashley came back. Okay, what if you use that moment to bring Bobby Lashley back? Who in the fuck is beating Braun Strowman and Bobby Lashley? I'm not a big Bobby Lashley fan. Oh, well, I understand that. But I'm just saying, you put those two guys in the tag team, what sort of natural disasters are they going to have to dig out of somewhere to, to, to beat these guys? I mean, even, I mean, you would you can't even have these authors of pain. Those guys are awesome. Another NXT oh, product. Only, you can't even have the these guys first, convincingly beat them. The only tag team that they're going to make with Bobby Lashley is Jason Jordan because clearly it's because they're both black and that's what they do. I, I don't even want to go there. I just want to know why Bobby Lashley looks so much like Wayne Brady. Uh, I don't know. It's just but like you just like glue some muscles on the Wayne Brady and you have Bobby Lashley. It is bizarre. With the headband. I I don't know. I mean, that's I don't know. We'll see what they do. We'll see if they even give Lashley a push. He might end up in the in the tag team with Sheldon Benjamin. Oh, Using your uh, theory. <laughs> so, what was expected to be the greatest match of the night? The standards were so high that you would have never attained them. Um, AJ, AJ Styles and Shinsuke Nakamura. Um, I mean, it was a good match. I, I mean, I don't think it was gonna. I don't think it ended up being the five five thousand star match that everybody thought it was gonna be. Um, 
I was more disappointed with the Nakamura heel turn at the end until I actually saw heel Nakamura on SmackDown, and I'm like, okay, this will work. Oh, that was great when he says, "Oh no, speak English." Right. So you know, to me, if the, if there it, at the end of the day, in hindsight, if there was actually something, some sort of neat resolve to come out of a WrestleMania storyline, it's we're going to get heel Shinsuke, and that really opens up a lot of match possibilities for him. I, I do like that. I think that it, it you needed more heels on SmackDown. You needed because I mean, really, you're supposed to have more heels than baby faces. The baby faces are supposed to overcome the odds every time, but when you have it the opposite, it's just it doesn't have the same effect. Well, nobody wants to run heel anymore. Like Miz gets it. Like as long as he's willing to do it, he's filling a void in the market. And that's where I said you. Know, I keep bringing up a guy like Elias because he's gonna be the he's gonna be the next one. He gets it. Nobody wants to be the heel. Nobody wants to develop their character towards heel tendencies. Everybody's trying to make the next great character. And that's where you end up with everybody trying to be the good guy. And then, you know, you get some guys who they look like natural bad guys that just kind of end up getting that little charismatic thing of like, hey, you know, I kind of like him. Like Rusev, it's like it's hard to keep some of those guys bad because they end up developing little niches that make you like them. And... So it's like I'd love to see people that really dedicate to, like, I'm going to be the heel. And it, it, it's hard. So, like, to me, like I said, I was kind of disappointed because I was like, man, how are they going to make him, like, a genuine heel? And then, and then I saw it perform. So I, I will say not as great of a match as I thought it would be, but at least it's going to have some resolve and it's going to open up some things for Shinsuke. I still think AJ is a very deserving WWE champion. I was glad to see him retain. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I, I, I mean, either way, I would have been okay. Um, now the match was a five thousand star match. If you relate it to the actual main event of the evening, uh, which blue? I'm sorry, that match blue. I you have a universal champion for a year with literally he he had two moves in his move set left, and he added a third for WrestleMania. Brock now has an overhead belly-to-belly suplex. Yeah. Um, F5 suplex, belly-to-belly suplex. That's it. That's your champion. Uh, I don't... I don't... I don't I know. hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. There was no good answer... If we want to say anything about bad booking in the WWE, it was the fact that they left this match. I mean, that was literally the match to clear the stadium. Here, after seven hours, we are going to finally give you an excuse to leave. Here is Brock Lesnar versus fucking Roman Reigns. Again, this time nobody has a money in the bank, and Brock has an extra move. I think... I don't know. I think that eventually it's going to come to an end in a few weeks but as of right now I really hope so I think that they're going to do the whole uh, Joe angle after that so I I mean I nobody's going to get behind Roman it's it's just not going to happen I mean somebody's going to have to sit there and face it at some point there's only one logical thing you could do you've been screaming at him to do it for nine months You gotta turn I, I, Roman into a bad guy. You're turning everybody else into a bad guy. Why won't you turn Roman into a bad guy? 
Everybody already mm-hmm. hates him. I, I just, I don't, I don't know. Uh, there's just, after the superstar shakeup, that's really going to, you know, determine where they go with storylines and everything. And I don't necessarily think there's a whole lot of people on SmackDown that are going to turn the world on its head when they go to Raw. But, but you um, know, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I they have a lot of talent there. And like I said, watching the NXT show, the future's bright. I think they need to shorten WrestleMania a little bit reel it back in either shorten WrestleMania or put some fewer matches in it so that the guys can work matches that have WrestleMania moments in it. We, we talked about a lot of matches that, that are matches you could have seen on raw or SmackDown to, to be honest. And, um, you know, that wasn't in, like I said, that wasn't the case in, in the olden days that the WrestleMania stood out like the shining stone above everything else that's there. Now WrestleMania is amongst about 18 pay-per-views. They do amongst the four federations they have, you know what I mean? And it's, it, it's so much harder to make it special. And it's so much harder to make it special when you're trying to put so much into so little, you know, or too much stuff into not enough time. And and you're making guys short and stuff. So to me, I think going forward it was a good show. But like you said, it's like a B minus show. You had some matches you could see now on their weekly programming, yeah, or at least in the same tone as it. So there was some really really good things. But again, it sort of dampened things because there can be no resolve for storylines because they're going to shake everything up in two weeks. Or, I, mean, I, was, I shouldn't say resolve, but like continuation storylines. Nothing is going to build from WrestleMania this year. Like I like back in the day, like I remember the build up to Bret Hart and Stone Cold at WrestleMania. Like man, that build up was great. Um, and it's it, it's too bad they don't do them like that anymore. But um, and I just I can't see it. You're gonna rehash old storylines. Um, you're gonna break up tag teams. I could see some tag teams like the Bar getting split up. Um, right, and try to get these guys now. You know, I mean, because the bar's been really good. You know what I mean? That's been a neat a tag team. It's been a neat way to get sort of Sheamus sort of just kind of re-elevated a little bit. The way to get Cesaro. I think Cesaro's a little bit higher elevated than he was before he started that tag team. You know, that's a good idea. See what they can do. You had them as singles wrestlers. See what they can do now. You've elevated them a bit. Seamus was kind of stuck in the mud before that, and he needed something to get the traction, um, get him back over with the fans, because he's kind of started to lose it, and I think that that's what that tag team did. It gave him something fresh to do, um, and, you know, what did they do, another singles run, or I, I don't know. I, we'll see. I really wish with Cesaro they would sort of feature that super strength again. Absolutely. Um, they do it with John Cena every fucking match he has. I mean, I, um, I know it doesn't always work. I think some people just watch it and they don't quite get what they're looking at when he does like sort of, sort of those deadlift moves. But boy, it really puts him over with me. Oh, God. Yeah, you're like that Vince, the Vince meme when the girl's sitting on the table and he's sitting there and he's laughing and then the fucking chair eventually goes backwards and Cesaro does that shit. Right, I was like, look at him deadlift that motherfucker. Holy shit. You know, I mean, it's... <laughs> You're laughing, then you, then you sit up in the chair a little bit, then you start smiling, then you end up fucking rolling your eyes in the back of the head falling over. Yeah, I said, it's... Uh... 
I don't know. I, I enjoy it. I still, it's still real to me, damn it. And the biggest weekend, like you said, it's a neat weekend. Just kind of in closing, it is a neat weekend because even if you aren't involved with the WWE anymore, it's such a neat thing. So many guys crawl out from under their rocks that week and you get to hear them on podcasts and interviews and you'll find, you know, over the next few weeks, there's going to be so many YouTube videos coming out with some interview with some guy, you know, behind some comic book shop. It's good. It's a lot of good times, a lot of insight, a lot of fun stories. Nice to see what some of those old dinosaurs are doing now. Um, Mm -hmm. So uh-huh. I, I think it's just a neat week for the whole business, and I wish the show would have been a little better. But again, I I, I enjoyed it. I watched it on my big projector. I watched it on my big screen, and it was okay. Uh, I just you just feel like you're surviving, right? I said it was just kind of funny, as I just felt. You know, there was so much good stuff that went on. You kind of got the Braun Strowman and Nicholas thing. And it was kind of like, okay, that's like a little bit of a letdown. But I see what they did there. Da 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 da. It's like, okay, here comes. Go let the dogs out. Take the garbage down. Here comes Lesnar Reigns. <laughs> so I was yeah. kind of like, I was kind of in and out in between that match, just like taking care of shit around the house. And I like went in. You know, I was like, oh, was this? You know, was has this match been any good? No. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I didn't figure. Went back and watched it just to make sure, and yeah, I wasn't lied to. Yeah, I mean, we'll see where it goes from here. I, uh, I don't know. I, I just, we'll just, we'll see. It's just hard to say right now this week, I guess. Right. Well, and that I hate to say, we're gonna have to shut this one down. This is already gonna be a giant file to try to take care of, so I need to shut this thing off quick. So I'm gonna say good night to you, Josh. We will catch you next week when we do our our, our mock draft 1.0, our much anticipated mock draft 1.0, where we mock the draft. Till then, we'll see you.